Broadcasting live from the Delta Media Studios in Upper Lafayette. Two hours of sports talk like none other. Footnotes with your host, Kevin Foote. Welcome into Footnotes. Kevin Foote on the game. Broadcasting live from the EFCO Development Studios in Upper Lafayette. EFCO Development is a civil construction company that specializes in new multifamily construction Simulcast on Stadium 32.3 and 133 on LUS Fiber. The game hotline is 337-706-0111. 337-706-0111. Mostly open phone lines today if you would like to get in. Obviously still a lot going on. We did not talk very much at all about the NBA yesterday because of all of the fallout from the NCAA softball selection show and and LSU's pitching situation and the Cajuns with a big sweep over the weekend. And, and so we mostly talked college athletics and baseball and softball yesterday, which is fine. It's, it's May and the postseason has begun in softball anyway. It is kind of strange. I don't – I'd have to look back, but to me – I don't remember years ago softball being this far ahead of baseball. I don't know exactly when that happened. Yeah, I don't know, but I don't mind it because um, it would be really – imagine if regional weekends coincided. It would be very difficult to well, keep Well, I just track thought it would that. be like one – it seemed like it used to be one week later, yeah. not two weeks later. Yeah, but even then you'd have then the Supers messing with the regionals on one side. But, I mean, I guess now the way it is, you got World Series stuff going on when the regionals are, but – those games are a little bit more spread out because you got them two weeks to do it. Yeah. I don't know. Um, yeah, I don't know that it's bad. It just right. seems like it's kind of separated, but more than it used to be. But oh well, it is what it is. So we'll see. Uh, we'll continue to talk softball. In fact, we'll be talking with having our weekly conversation with Bob Bobby Nova at about ten thirty-five. But look, I am. I've joked for years, I'm one of the very few for entertainment purposes only guys that talk about lines and all that stuff. And, um, you know, I'm not smart enough or wise enough in, in that game to even, I still don't want it. People have tried to, people have tried to explain baseball lines to me and, and it's kind of like soccer and offsides. I don't think I'm in offsides in soccer. I'm never going to get it. So it's like, it's like the scene in, um, in uh, what's the the, the show um, where Billy Crystal and his friends go out and and they uh, on a wild ranch and they become um, why am I so senile? But anyway, they were trying to explain to him. This is an old joke for those of you who you know used to try to set the timer on your VCR and the clock on your VCR, and they were trying to explain it to him. And he goes, "Look, he's never gonna get it. Just." Forget about it. Stop trying. He's never going to get it. Um, So I, I don't – but how – like, I don't understand. I've heard multiple times – please explain this to me. I've heard multiple times that the Miami Heat, they're saying – has a 3% chance of beating the Celtics. Now, I mean, at the beginning of the playoffs, I get that, but they're in the finals. Yeah, no, it's – it's I and I know 
I think I have an idea where that's coming from because the same models last year said that the Celtics just had this overwhelming um, dominance over the Warriors, and I think it gave the Warriors like some type of 21, 22% chance to win the finals. I don't know what it is. Now, those are more analytical models than betting lines, obviously. I think the Vegas lines are not going to be anywhere near that skewed. For whatever reason, the analytical metrics love Boston, and I think to the point where they're skewing reality, you know what I mean? And that's why I think you always need to use those metrics with a human filter over it, right? Like to take a look and go, okay, I know what that says, but let's look at what actually is taking place in the real world. And we just talked to Ali. I, like Miami is not – and those those that data is probably from a lot of the regular season games that Miami played. And like Miami's not that team anymore. They're clearly a different team now. They – the postseason's an entire season in its own right in the NBA anyway, and Miami has clearly shown you that they are nowhere near as bad as they were for large ports of the, portions of the season. And Boston's kind of shown you they're not as good as they were for large portions of the season. So I think those, those types of metrics are just kind of silly, kind of like the NFL draft projected percentage chance that Will Levis was going to be taken in the first round didn't make any sense either. Well... Yeah, City Slickers. Someone helped me with that. That was City Slickers is the name of the movie, which uh, I think ton of hilarious situations and scenes and lines in that movie. But anyway, um, the older I get, the more senile I get. But the Celtics in the heat, they were 2-2 this year. I saw a stat that over the last three seasons, the record between the two is 13-13. and So... And obviously, there are a lot of people that believe that the best coach in the NBA is Spoltra, and maybe the worst coach is the Celtics guy, or at least the least, I don't know, he's the worst coach, but he's like one of the least experienced coaches. So, I mean, if you did a coaching breakdown, there's no way you wouldn't give Miami a huge edge in that. He's more experienced and he's more respected. And so I just, I, I keep hearing that three, but I'm like, that's just, that is crazy talk. Now, I'm not saying the Celtics, pro, are they going to probably win? I guess. But again, to your point, they haven't played that well. Like they beat some choking dogs. That's what the Sixers are. They should call them the Philadelphia choking dogs. I mean, that's just awful. And how they blew that scenario, who knows? But, I mean, we kind of know how. But, um, but no, I I don't know what to think. Um, and then the other series, you know, the Lakers are playing well. And they've played great defense in the postseason. I just wonder if... Their de- the, how good a defense they played was amplified that they played two flawed teams, offensive, flawed offensive teams. And the Nuggets are probably the least flawed offensive team in the, in the playoffs. I mean, really, in the whole league, but that are left in the playoffs. I mean, the, wouldn't you say they're by far the least flawed offensive team? Like, they're the most efficient team left in the playoffs. So I think it's going to be more difficult for 
the Lakers to to play the kind of defense on Denver that they played on the on the Grizzlies and the in the Warriors. Although the Warriors can be explosive, but the Warriors are not an efficient offensive team. They're like if they're nailing a bunch of threes and they got a great chance to beat you. And if they don't, then you're going to beat them. I mean, they're they're not and they don't shoot a lot of free throws. I mean, they're just not. They're the opposite of efficient. They're just a hot and up and down explosive offense, but on the nights that they're bad, they're really bad. So I don't um I don't I, I don't know that I lo- love this Laker matchup with the Nuggets. I think the Nuggets can do a lot of the things that are gonna be tougher for the Lakers to take advantage of, but we'll see. Um the Lakers do have a unique defender that that just about no one in basketball and possibly no one in basketball has with his size and athletic ability and defensive ability to maybe counteract some of that with what Denver does. And again, when these two teams played in the regular season, it was two, two and the home teams won every game and the home teams covered in every game. So, you know, I don't, I don't know. I don't normally take a lot out of that. Like who, you know, does it really matter? Because, again, it's not who you play. It's when you play them. I mean, we'd have to go back and look and, you know, were these at the end of road trips or, you know, what was going on? What kind of injuries did the teams have at that time? You know, we look at those numbers where they split, but, you know, that doesn't tell the whole story. So I I think um, I don't really – I mean, I think it would be cool if the the Heat won my – my hatred for the Celtics tells me, is it really going to happen? Um, but no, I, I'm normally an underdog guy, and I'm certainly an underdog guy in these two series because the Celtics are the favorite in one and the Lakers are the underdog in the other one. So I'm hoping it's it's an underdog series, and that would be um, L.A. and Miami. That'd be interesting. Do you like the idea of this, like, validating what happened in the bubble based on these four teams being back? Mm. I kind of think it's funny. I mean, it's there's three years removed, and there's a lot yeah. of roster differences. I mean, not these are not the same teams. They yeah. maybe have the same stars, but. I mean, I guess you could make that argument, but I wouldn't go real – I wouldn't be real passionate in making that argument. But it's – it also um, – by the way, we didn't talk about it yesterday again because we were talking a lot about college softball yesterday. But we were questioning and had several segments talking about how wise it was to fire the Bucks coach. And then Monty gets fired from the Suns over the weekend. We didn't talk about that yesterday. It's like, I think he was the winningest coach of the last three seasons. Was that a Magic Johnson, Paul Westhead firing? I mean, did Kevin Durant say, look, we are not getting along well? And they chose... Kevin Durant, you know, and or some other stars on the team over Monty. I mean, that could be. Again, we were talking about it in the press box over the weekend, and 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 I think sometimes we forget there's there's all kind of behind the scenes stuff that that goes on, especially in the NBA where one player means so much more. I mean. Other than maybe a dominant quarterback, no other player in an organization or like a dominant Hall of Fame pitcher 
with a dominant personality like a Verlander or Scherzer on a given team could have, and not even those have the impact potentially that, you know, a star NBA basketball player has on the decision-making processes of a, of, of a general manager or front office. So, I mean, I, I think that, that makes the NBA dynamic a little different than the other sports because there's so many other players that are involved there. But um, it is strange how seemingly impatient things are in a league where we feel like it's the players that determine the championship. So why is why is the treatment of head coaches seemingly getting more fickle when it seems like they don't have the ultimate impact on the outcome of the game as much as we we perceive that coaches in other sports at other levels do. I don't know. It's just an interesting dynamic there. And uh, and yet, who knows, apparently Doc Rivers is going to keep his job. At least that's – I think people are kind of speculating that that's going to happen. Of course, I guess when you're coaching the choking dogs, then, you know, you, you give the guy a break. I don't know it, and how big a role he plays and all that. But, no, I, I think the NBA – the breakdown or analysis of the NBA two conference championship series are very interesting, but that 3% thing, I just, you know, that reminds me of the whole, I used to hate it. Like when Tiger, I didn't really hate Tiger, but I hated the way people talk about Tiger when Tiger was, you know, in his prime, you know, it used to be who are you taking Tiger the field and I always say it's such a disrespect to the game. It's just, they used to, I used to anger me, and not that I cared about Tiger one way or the other, but it's like I always said the field. Like, you, you got to take the field over one player. I don't know. To me, that just disrespects the game, and this is just kind of does the same. I kind of get that same feeling there. I don't, I, don't, I don't like that at all. So, I mean, you know I was rooting for the Heat anyway because of who they were playing, and now I'm really pulling for the Heat. That would be awesome if they won this series. And by the way, they've won five straight game ones I saw. And the Celtics haven't been as good of late in game ones of series. So we'll see. We'll take a timeout. Be back. Stay tuned. This is Footnotes on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. Tune in every weekday at 8.15 a.m. and 3.15 p.m. for the LSU Sports Update. Presented by Tibbs Trailers here on The Game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Welcome back. To footnotes, Kevin Foot on the game. Again, the game hotline is 706-0111-337-706-0111. If you have any opinions, strong or otherwise, on the NBA playoffs, certainly feel free to call that. The Saints made a move yesterday. I always think it's curious. They signed wide receiver James Washington. Once upon a time, a pretty hot commodity coming out of Oklahoma State. 
Uh, he's played three years with the Steelers, didn't go very well, tried to play to sign and see if he could make an impact with the Cowboys last year, and they got hurt early on in the process and missed the whole season. Uh, in three seasons, he had 114 catches, 1,629 yards, and 11 touchdowns. Kind of reminds you of Traquan Smith. <laughs> it, you know, everyone hates Traquan Smith. Uh, I don't know how good of a blocker James Washington is, but I doubt he's better than Traquan because Traquan I would consider a plus blocker as a wide receiver, but I would think he's at least the same or worse. Uh, I don't know that he – I've not heard that he's better blocker than Traquan. So essentially you got a guy who's giving you about Traquan, maybe a little less than Traquan – um, numbers and probably again, I'm I'm assuming that to be fair. Not any better of a blocker, and so is it great news? You know, some people say, "Well, why do you keep Traquan?" And I think I just kind of explained why you keep guys who you kind of it's kind of the bird in hand mentality. But on the flip side of things, we talked about, we've said it several times in recent months. That you that Michael Thomas, Plastic Man, has got to be con- looked at as Lanyop on your roster. I mean, I don't know how the Saints board looks, but when they have their little depth chart board up there, he, he's got to be like an orange or ital, italics or something. Like he, you can't have his name up there, Plastic Man's name, like everybody else's name. It has to be total Lanyop. And if you and if he returns and plays, look, I don't really believe that if he plays, he's going to be mediocre. I think he's going to be really good if he plays. It's just you got to play, like he never plays. I, I I'm not saying he's going to catch 140 balls, but that some of that had to do with how good he was, and some of it had to do with, you know, the whole offense. I mean. I don't. I don't even. I don't even want him catching 140 balls. Really, uh, that that's a little too much. I don't even want him to catch that. But I still think he's going to be really good if he plays. So, the point I'm making is, even um, if he does play, I am perfectly fine with the Saints getting as many insurance policies at that position as possible. Just throw a bunch of darts and just hope more than one sticks. I mean, last year, Shahid stuck pretty good. I mean, most of us are feeling pretty good about him right now. Uh, he he was remarkably good last year on, on, a, on a mediocre offense with, you know, a quarterback who didn't match a square peg round hole. You know, the two best receivers last year were kind of down the field speed guys, and you had a quarterback who didn't want to throw the ball down the field. Square peg, round hole. And so now you have a quarterback who can throw the ball down the field, can make all the throws, and so you feel like it's going to work. And because it's a new quarterback, it also gives you some hope to think that maybe somehow they're going to mesh. I mean, again, you've got you've got Edwards, who Carr played with, with the Raiders, and who once upon a time, when he came out of South Carolina, he was considered, you know, a pretty good prospect coming out of college. A lot of people were fairly high on him. 
So it can't hurt. It's the old can't hurt, might help. And so, again, I like the idea that they're thinking, well, just because our depth chart on the surface looks like it's okay, continue to pick up veteran wide receivers that might be able to make your team and not be um, shorthanded. Now, does that mean that they're no longer considering Jarvis? I think this guy's like, what, 5'11"? Somebody sent me that yesterday, like 5'11", 215 or so. I don't think he's a little guy, but he's not like a big block out receiver. But he's also not one of those little, what I call midget receivers either. So we'll see. Again, interesting. I like what it, I think the message I get from that is we are is that they are looking at Plastic Man as Lanyop, not at not counting on him. And so I think all of that is 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 good. Um by the way, the uh the the Astros last night. Man, Framber got hit hard. I mean, in his last outing, he pitched eight innings against the little MVPs and threw ninety something pitches. I want to say it was ninety eight, but it was it was it was ninety something pitches in eight innings. Last night he threw ninety something pitches in four innings. Four. And like it's like they he couldn't get him out. I'm like, what is going on here? Like, I never could. I mean, I don't know that I've ever heard tipping with with Framber, but it seemed that way. Like he could, they were crushing him. And the funny thing is, in the first inning, they had never faced him before. And so I kind of, I kind of like that, man. Framber's pretty good. He's facing a, a team that's fairly young and never seen him before. First inning, strikeout, strikeout, strikeout. I'm like, man, this, this is going to be good. He struggled in the third inning mightily, and in the fourth inning couldn't get anybody out. They were hitting line drives all over the park. And his pitch that he gave up for the three-run homer was just awful. Like, you got this guy, Morrell, this young guy, who's off to a great start, by the way. Christopher Morrell, I, I don't know that I know. I, I don't know. I know. I don't know anything about him, but he's off to this great start. He struck out his first at bat, and his second at bat, he has him 0-2 on pitches in the dirt, and then he throws one right over the plate. Like throw it in the dirt again, cat. That was an awful pitch. And then guess what Morrell does? His final two at bats. Struck out. So I think he struck out four times in one in five at bats, but the fifth bat, the one at bat that he didn't strike out, he had a three run homer. Fortunately, Alex Bregman decided, you know, I might want to do something. And he hit a two run homer in the Crawford boxes. Look, I, I, I hope it's hard. Oh, I was a cheap home run. Look, look it's about time. But Alex Bregman, if nothing else, he has figured out how to take advantage of the Crawford boxes in recent years. And it's about time somebody figures out how to use the Crawford boxes as a member of the Houston Astros because for the first 15 or 20 years, no one could. I mean, they'd get all these right-handed hitters and, like, no one would take advantage of it other than Biggio here and there. I mean, so I, I, I think it's great. 
But not an impressive win, but a win. I mean, you you you're buying your time. It well, was a win. was impressive. And still, what do I always say? Just don't get swept. They haven't gotten swept once all season. Now, they haven't always played great, but they've avoided the sweeps. You thought it was – my Famber got lit. I didn't like that. Yeah, but the that. bullpen was impressive. The bullpen did very well, which increases your chances of staying – like, how did they hit Framber that hard? Like, it's like, I mean, again, they didn't just, you know, it wasn't like bloop, bloop, three-run homer, walk, bloop, three-run homer. It was line drive, line drive, line drive. I mean, it was crazy. They were just crushing him. I mean, and he couldn't strike him out after the first inning. They, they kept hitting the ball. Un- unbelievable. By the way, we, we talked for a couple of weeks about the Astro getaway. I'm getting, I'm not liking this weekend. Usually in sports, when things are look too good, they're too good to be true. That is that red flag. Like, of course, I don't know. The Oakland A's, they don't have 10 wins yet. I think they have like eight or nine wins. It's not June the 1st yet, so I don't look at standings till June the 1st. But last time I, I stumbled across, I don't think they have 10 wins yet. So they're like 8 and 30 or 8 and 39 or 9 and 32 or like there's something like their record is horrible. They are horrible. I get that. But I, man, I hope they lost again last night. I don't know, 6 2, 7 2, something like that at Arizona. And I don't think they only had one earned run. Um, and you know, I hope they win a game or two in Arizona. Of course, Arizona's not a bad club this year. I I, I don't I don't know how many games they've lost in a row, but man, if they come into this series, because I know they just got finished last week, the Yankees just battered them. Like they went to Yankee Stadium, they just got battered. And and then you know, I I don't know how many lost they in a row, but I mean, I I don't like facing teams that like. Are on these long losing streaks. I don't care how little talent they have. I'm shocked to hear you say that, huh? That doesn't worry you? No, I'm not surprised. But no, I mean they're that bad. It's fine. I mean, look, they might beat you. I hope they beat Arizona. Like I'll feel much better if they beat Arizona at least once, like today or tomorrow. I would love if they beat Arizona both days. Cause man, I, I don't know. It's just too good to be true. Like. Okay, so they're nine and thirty-four. I'm told. So let's if they lose. I don't know that they play Thursday, but let's just say it's a three-game series in Arizona. If they lose both games, nine and thirty-six. That that's got to be. I bet you that's to be the first time ever that the Astros have faced a team nine and thirty-six or worse in the history of the Astros franchise. Like, when have they ever faced a team that bad? Like maybe the Mets in '62. Of course, the Astros then might have been nine and stuff. Oh, that, no, I'm worried. I don't like that at all. I don't. They, uh, go A's, please win tonight in Arizona. We'll take a timeout and be back. Stay tuned. This is footnotes on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. 
This is Footnotes, live from the Evco Development Studios in Upper Lafayette on The Game. 1037 Lafayette, 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Welcome back to Footnotes. Kevin Foot on the game. Again, the game hotline, 337-706-0111. 337-706-0111. Last night, Michael Walker had a no-hitter through seven. It looked like they were going to pull him out of the game. And he. it looked like, again, we don't know what was being said, but it looked like he talked... Melvin, the manager, into letting him go out. Like his third pitch he threw, he gave up a single to right. First of all, I think sometimes managers like are sitting there in the dugout thinking, just give up a hit right here. Now, if it's one nothing, you're not thinking that. But if you have any kind of a lead, you're like, man, I you don't want the guy to go too far, and yet you don't want to pull him. The manager's really in a bad spot when that happens, especially when it's a guy who has an injured history, and you know you don't want. And he's been pitching okay. You don't want to mess up the apple cart there, but you also don't want to pull a guy with a no hitter. So, are you a you can't pull a guy with a no hitter guy? You get angry. Like some guys get angry when guys. I mean, pull. yeah, I, I think you should you should let it happen, but. You know, what do I know? I also think this, and I think I probably differ on uh, from you with this. Like, you, you probably, um, let's say the Cajuns were like 30-0 and 0 in basketball. You would want them to lose a game before the tournament? Oh, definitely. See, I would want the you historic. You don't want to fight history. I would want the historic season. Like the Patriots with the 17, oh. I would have, if I was a Patriots fan, I would have been wanting so badly the undefeated the greatest no. season of history streak. You don't want to have to beat your opponent and history. You I understand that it's more difficult, and but I think like that historic championship run, if you're able to put it together, would mean even more than just a championship run. But I understand the the logic. I do think it's like some of the stuff I mess with you about, like you know the Piper stuff. I do think it's more difficult to deal with the pressure of like a streak like that. Yeah, we, you don't want to mess with that. But I would want. As a fan, and if I was a player, I would want that historic opportunity to do something that's never been done. I kind of feel the same way with a no-hitter. Um, now, again, like younger guys, now I don't get as upset if it's like a young prospect, a guy who's like on a strict innings limit. I mean, I get they're going to pull him, so I mean, I don't even get upset anymore. I used to get more upset about it, but uh, I do think if it's a veteran guy um, who's on at least, let's say, he's hit free agency in his career, right? Uh, I think there's a point where you can let that guy make the decision. Now, again, these teams aren't going to operate like that because they they're trying to win championships. But like, you know, like if Justin Verlander were out there and he's like, guys, I want I want this no hitter. This would mean so much. It's it would be my whatever no hitter. Like I think that type of person player has earned the right to go out and do it. I understand protecting a young pitcher from themselves though. Yeah, and, and the, again, uh, managers want their guys to pitch well, but I, I think sometimes they're like, oh, just give up a hit. I don't want to have to. This is just just kind of uncomfortable. Of course, Melvin's an old veteran manager, so he, he probably handled it fine. But it looked like Walker talked himself out for the eighth, gave up a single. I think it was his third pitch of the inning. They went out and got him. Everything, you know, they won the game. Everything was, every, everything was fine. All right, I want to get into this. Um, we didn't talk. We talked with Coach Deggs yesterday. 
after the Cajuns got the sweep over Texas State, the first one they've ever gotten against Texas State. Um, and yesterday, trying to look at the standings and figure out what the Cajuns need to do. Uh, it's fairly complicated in some ways, and in other ways, it's it's that it, there's some things that have made it less complicated. So where do Cajuns stand? Again, the goal is you want to at least finish in the top six so you don't have to play the first day, especially when you have pitching depth issues because of injuries that the Cajuns have. So you really want to finish in the top six. Currently, the Cajuns are in third place by themselves, but they're playing first place Southern Miss on the road. Southern Miss has not lost many games in the last month. They're on fire. They've won 13 games in a row. And they're at home in this series, and they hate the Cajuns. So, again, there there is no chance at a letdown here. And they're tied for first with Coastal. And Coastal is hosting last place Marshall. So everyone's just assuming that Coastal's going to win three games against a, a Marshall who's 5-22 and 22 in conference play. So, there, look, I don't think there's any chance the Cajuns will get any let up from Southern Miss. Like, they have everything to play for right now. Trying to play to win the conference, you know, all, all of that. They're on a roll. They know how to win. I mean, they were, you know, they made it to a super regional last year. I mean, and they've been good for quite a while. So, I mean, and they hate the Cajuns. It's a, it's a, it's a brewing rivalry you know, over the last two years, it's been a lot of, you know, it's 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 testy between those two, which is fun. I love rivalries. So you got that. The flip side of this, the team currently in seventh place is Texas State, the team that Cajuns just swept. They have 12 losses. Cajuns have 10 losses. Again, you want to finish in the top six. Texas State plays ULM at home this week. ULM is 5-21. About like Marshall, not very good. Muy mucho pabon. And so most people are assuming that Texas State at home, trying to get in, currently in seventh place, trying to get into one of the top six seeds and avoid that first round play-in game, is going to sweep ULM at home. Pretty safe assumption. You understand why people would assume that anyway. So, again, if the Cajuns can win a game, then Texas State can't catch them, even if they sweep Monroe. And so that would be the number one option for the Cajuns is to go out and win a game or two or three. Now, again, Southern Miss has won 13 in a row. You might say, well, they're due to lose, maybe, but they're really good, and it's on the road, and there is going to be no overlooking them because they hate the Cajuns, and the Cajuns hate them, so it's fun. Um, The other thing to keep in mind is right below the Cajuns are three teams with 11 losses. One of those is Troy, and one of them is App. Troy plays App this week. 
If you're a Cajun fan, you're pulling for Troy. So if you're a Cajun fan, you're pulling for UL, obviously. You're pulling for ULM, which seems kind of pointless, but still you're pulling for ULM to win. If ULM can win one out of three in San Marcos, then it doesn't matter what the Cajuns do. They're in the top six. Now, you still want to finish as high as you can and all that. I get that. But the goal right now is to be in the top six. And you're pulling for Troy. I don't know that you want Troy to sweep. I think if if you're pulling for the Cajuns, you want Troy to beat App two out of three. Now, the, the one other thing to keep in mind is App has one fewer game played than the Cajuns, assuming everyone plays their games this week. And, and James Madison has two fewer games played than the Cajuns. So they, even if they, they tie the Cajuns this week, they wouldn't have a higher winning – they tie them in the, in the loss column, I'm saying. They wouldn't have a higher winning percentage because they'd have fewer wins. So the Cajuns, even though Troy beat them two out of three, App beat them two out of three, and James Madison swept them, because App and James Madison haven't played their full complement of games, that should help the Cajuns in a tiebreaker because of winning. Per- they'll have a higher winning percentage, um, and so that's why you really want to get your games in so that that doesn't bite you at at, at the end. So. You got to really like this the Cajuns chances of being in the top 6, but it's not a lock. Um because again, Texas State will probably finish 18 and 12. Um and so you know, that's going to put some pressure on the Cajuns to probably win one unless they can get a break with Troy in them. Just it's complicated, and yet it's not as complicated as it could be if everyone had played all of their games. We'll take a timeout and be back. This is Footnotes on the game 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. Are you fluent in Footlish? Not to worry. We're here to help with the Footlish Dictionary. The cheaters. Cheaters. The famed hated rival that beat the New Orleans Saints and others so many times in the 80s and 90s by cheating. Also known as the San Francisco 49ers. Now, back to the man with his very own language. Kevin Foote and Footnotes. All righty, welcome back to Footnotes, and I consider myself an older dog, been doing this for quite a while, and one of the things, they, the old cliche about old dogs is it's tough to teach them new tricks, but I'm fixing to have to learn some new tricks, I think. Yeah, so some exciting news here at the game, and we published an article online at the 1037thegame.com, 1041thegame.com that has the details of it, but... We are going to be moving to uh, ESPN affiliation in next month, uh, June 26th to be exact. So uh, it's going to be exciting. We'll have some new lineups as well. It'll start off in the morning with Keyshawn, J. Will, and Max uh, from 5 to 9. Footnotes right here will stay the same. I'll still be producing, and Kevin Foote will still be your host. Um, and then we'll have a new show from 11 to 1. That's going to be RP3 and myself hosting with James Mesh producing. Um, and so that's going to be exciting. And then Jordy Holtberg will move up an hour, one to three now instead of two to four. Um, and then we're also excited to have Matt Moscona with After Further Review coming on in the afternoons uh, from three to six. So some exciting changes there. And um, 
should should be interesting to see some uh, some new stuff going on. Uh, the important thing is, I don't believe the phone number is going to change, so that's going to help this old dog. Yeah, not not that I know. I will let yeah. you know if anything does change with that. So I, I think we'll be fine. I think it's 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 Absolutely. all good. It's exciting news, and I'll be able to make the the, the adjustment. Just yeah. you know, just kind of spin me and point me in the right direction. Yeah, well, this I mean, and you're the uh, the only show in our lineup that has no changes whatsoever to it out of the out See, of the crew. That, 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 so that's that's the go. kind of people I work for here with here. <laughs> That you know, they understand my limitations, so we try to keep things as simple as possible. And by the way, the speaking of old dog, I last night in passing they did an interview with Joe Carter. And Joe Carter hit the home run off of Mitch Williams in the nineteen ninety-three World Series to win the World Series with the Blue Jays beating the Phillies. And as the story goes, which I've told on the air a couple times in the last three years here and and prior, that was when I started Sports Talk Radio, it was right after. In other words, the very first, did like a little, I don't know, what do you call that? Um, Like a run. You know, we did a show, but it wasn't on the air, you know. A pilot? Kind of like that just to see if how it would work and if I wanted to do it and if they wanted me to do it. And it was, you know, our old friend uh, Chuck Wood and Jimmy Cole. And the vi- it, the very first thing I talked about, the first time I ever did Sports Talk Radio, was Joe Carter's home run off of, off of Mitch Williams. And so it happened that week and uh, when, when I first got started 30 years ago. So that was a reminder last night seeing that interview with Joe Carter. Man, Joe Carter's looking old. Joe Carter. Joe Carter played one of those those some of those awesome like Wichita State back in the air in the day was really good in baseball, and he was on some powerful teams. And then, but no, he was a very talented guy, and um, I don't know, just a little nostalgia there. And so that means this November's thirty years. You know, that makes me think of Chris Carter for the Astros, a guy who just man, not fun to watch his at bats for a stretch of time there. Well, he struck out a lot. Um, a, yeah, that's an understatement. <laughs> he struck out a lot, but he did have pop in his bat. He would hit yeah, home runs. Yeah. He'd no, have stretches he... where he did a bunch of home runs. Yeah, yeah. But, this is um, not my style of uh, hitter I enjoy no, watching. No, he doesn't really fit into what the Astros have done offensively for the last three years, but I would take right now Jose Abreu giving me a few Chris Carter home runs. Look, he had a double last night, and I'll take it. But it was it was a pretty well hit ball, but it should have been caught. Like a good major league outfielder catches the ball. It wasn't really a double, even though it was. It yeah. The Brad Chancey shared with us the expected batting average on it was below three hundred, so not like a no doubt. Yeah, he, he should have been caught. And what happened was the new outfielder Morel, the guy who had the three run homer and struck out four times last night, um, he was running like backwards with both feet rather than turning and running to the spot. Like he kept just kind of fading back and fading back and the ball just went over his glove. It was not textbook. <laughs> Let's put it that way. But look, I'll t- I'll take it. And then right after that, uh, Jeremy Pena got a kind of a bloop single, got a little lucky there as well. And then uh, McCormick hit one off the wall, first pitch line drive. That was a nice double. And so, you know, look – 
when you play 162, you take all the gifts you can get. You take all the wins, no matter if your starting pitcher has a rough day or not. You just take the wins when you can get them. You're just storing up wins. And, and as when you wherever you can get them, hopefully avoiding the sweeps. And then hopefully soon, in June maybe, the Astros can start playing like the team that most people thought they had going into the season and finish strong. And that's when you want to finish strong. By the way, Altuve's not doing well on his rehab. He's like one or two for 13 or something. Yeah, but uh, the first day he hit like four line drives over 100 miles an hour that were three of them were outs or something like that. So I'm not I'm not too, too worried. They're moving him to double A Corpus Christi. We'll see how long that takes. That's hour number one, one hour to follow. Stay tuned. Broadcasting live from the Delta Media Studios in Upper Lafayette. Two hours of sports talk like none other. Footnotes with your host, Kevin Foote. Welcome to Footnotes. Kevin Foote on the game. Kevin Foote, Footnotes, I should say, simulcast on Stadium 32.3, 133 on LUS Fiber. Broadcasting live from the EFCO Development Studios in Upper Lafayette. EFCO Development is a civil construction company that specializes in new multifamily construction. We've talked about the NBA today. A little mystified by this thing I keep hearing that the Heat have a 3% chance. Again, I could understand in, you know, a month ago saying that. But when you get to the final four, everyone's got at least a fighting chance. I mean, 3% ain't even a puncher's chance. I don't get that. But anyway, we discussed that a little bit and um, talked about the potential matchups there in the NBA. If you would like to discuss that, we talked a little Major League Baseball with the Astros and Waka kind of throwing seven no-hit innings last night, how, how, how that was handled. I think some people... Or, you know, some people are never going to learn. But I think now that, you know, the Cubs have gotten off to a hot start and slowed down. The Pirates got off to a really hot start and have slowed down. That's hopefully some people are starting to get that this is Major League Baseball, 162 games. Can we not make such emphatic statements? Before we even get to June, like, oh, this team is done. I mean, I understand that the Oakland A's are done. I get that. But, you know, we don't know who very many other teams are right now. Let You know, three weeks ago, everyone was, like, burying the Yankees. I'm like, they have all these – can you just let them play? Can we at least get to June or July before we bury teams? Tell me how terrible. We don't even know who any of these teams are other than maybe the Oakland A's. <sighs> People wear me out with that stuff. Microwave mentality. All right, let's go to the game hotline. Hello. Good morning. Good morning, sir. Kevin, you know, talking about baseball, that's what I want to talk about. You know, Kevin, you know, like that guy that hit the home run off of Valdez that night, the Morale, he's another one of them hot shots prospects coming up through the minors. 
we're okay in this day and age with the new rule they have this year. That's all you see now is all these prospects being been thrown into the majors, thrown into the fog. How do you think that's going to change the game going forward? Well, you know, you know, you know what's going to speed up that process and make it even worse if they they could is they they do another stupid expansion. Expansion should be a four letter word somehow. I hate expansion. And they're, they're, I mean, you're starting to hear rumblings about expansion. And that that's when it's really bad, expansion. But okay, Kevin, what, what, okay, but going back to what I was saying, but what is going to happen, but what this does to the minor leagues when, when you send in all these, let it, let you, these prospects use a cut. They don't care about the minor leagues, but that's what I'm saying. All of these minor leaguers, the, when you have expansion, the major league becomes, you know, an eighth minor leagues. I mean, it, it, you have all these minor leaguers that shouldn't be in the major leagues now in the major leagues. That's what I'm saying. I mean, it, it's already starting, like to your point. But if they if they expand in the next two years, it's going to be everywhere. Do so you think it's going to be a low quality of baseball? That's what you're saying. Well, that what so many people don't get is that play not a, not the most overriding role but was I've always tried to explain to people that was a major contributing factor to the quote unquote steroid era not only did you have the commissioner allowing people to use steroids because of the 94 not having a World Series. You had a bunch of new ballparks, and some of them were big, but some of them were really small. And you had all these major league, minor league pitchers in the major leagues because you had two levels of expansion. And, and all of that, yeah, it, it, what it does is it brings too many minor league pitchers into the major leagues. And hit us did the body hit the home run off of Valdez? That's not the way you hit the home run. It looked good there, but he struck out the other four times. I mean, that's what you get with these kids. I mean, it's boomer bust. I want to say every bat, and the pitchers does the same way. Kevin, you know that pitching you're pitching tonight? You know, I have him on my fantasy team. I remember he's he's not a a, a first year guy. He's not a rookie. But you know he's undefeated, that steel guy? Yeah, he's done very well. That's, that's why I was texting someone who was talking about how the Astros are favored to, tonight. I said, I'm not so sure the Astros should be favored tonight. I mean, he's due to lose a game, though, Kevin. I think he probably I hope, I hope, last, I hope he's due. I hope he's due. Probably yes. was his worst outing of the year, so maybe I'll be What I'm trying to say, I think he's leading up to where he's going to get his first L. I hope so. I hope you're right. Have a good day. Take care. No, look, I, I am I am anti-expansion. I, I I hate, it's not that I hate, you know, I mean, I don't know where they're going to put teams. People are saying Nashville. I mean, I, I love expansion. You love it? Oh, yes. I hate it. There can't be any baseball team that they create worse than the A's right now. They're already an expansion team, so I don't worry about the quality. Well, of move play. them somewhere. Well, they're going to, well, they must, they're trying to. <laughs> but I don't know. Is Las Vegas going to be like Colorado? I, well, I don't. I don't know, and then apparently there's a whole you know deal with the plans that the original plans they had are no now falling through, and they're doing they're trying to shift around their whole plan. I, it doesn't make sense. I loved the idea that of and, and the you know the drawings and the renderings of the new stadium they were supposedly going to build in Oakland. I thought it would have been great. Disappointed that it didn't happen, or you know now seemingly isn't going to happen. Um, but I don't mind expansion, especially when you're in the situation that the MLB's in to get to 32. I think is a much more balanced. And then that way, I just, I don't know, I like being the champion of something bigger. 
So I like expansion in that regard. Yeah, but you're being you're the you're what you are is the champion of something watered down. I don't I don't know if it's watered down. So you like the uh, you like the USFL that has like eight teams? Well, no, but that <laughs> well, like anything they, they could have two teams or five hundred teams. It wouldn't matter. I don't. I wouldn't care about it. But <laughs> but like I've been saying for some time now, like they need to move the Rays to like Nashville. Don't give them a new franchise. Just move the Rays there. Because they don't care in Tampa. Well, they're getting a new stadium, supposedly, as well. I don't know how that's going to work. I mean, they've, they've been good for over a decade now, and they still well, don't care. Well, and again, a lot of that issue is the same issue with Miami, because the stadium's not in Miami. The stadium is in, and the stadium in Tampa, I'm, I'm talking about Hard Rock Stadium, the football stadium. It's not in Miami at all. It's in Miami Gardens, which is like 45 minutes away from Miami. Stadium in Tampa is in St. Pete. It's not in Tampa. It's 30 minutes away from Tampa. So, like, there's a bunch of... I don't know why they won't build a stadium in Tampa, but even the new stadium they're going to build is going to be right next to the old one, still in St. Pete. So, I I don't know. I'm just not a big fan of expansion. But, no, speaking of FedEx Man's point, like, there are people that think that Drew Gilbert could be up for the Astros by, you know, second half of the season. Like, this fast-track stuff. Because remember, the new GM came from the Braves. They just did the same thing with Michael Harris. He went from double-A, like, he was in double-A right to the major leagues in a hurry. And it was it worked. You know, he's hurt, but, but he was like rookie of the year. I mean, um... I don't. The Astros have had an issue in center field. Not an issue. They they've had a revolving door for the for the most part in center field since Springer left. Has it hurt them? No. They've been to the World Series twice, and they've won one of them. So it really hadn't affected them very much. Um, but you know, if Drew Gilbert is really the answer in center field for two years three years four years five years down the road I mean I guess it's okay if he gets a cup of coffee but man fast tracking kind of worries me a little bit if a guy's really going to be ready because look I still remember look we love El Pedro Grande on this show and 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 every you know rarely a week goes by where I don't cherish uh, the impact that Josh Fields has made on the Astros franchise. But I remember El Pedro Grande's first postseason. He was awful. They struck him out every at-bat. He didn't come close to getting a hit. Like, he just was awful, totally overmatched. And we're talking about a great young hitter. One of the best young hitters most of us have ever seen. And his first postseason, he was useless at the plate. And so it's not that easy. It's different in the postseason. So I don't know, you know, what, how this Drew Gilbert stuff's going to pan out this year. You agree with that, calling him up? No, I uh, no. I'd rather go get Preston Tucker for some big at bats than Drew Gilbert. Um, Has he calmed down? By the way, I know you. Well, well, he's daily... cooled off a little, but the OPS is still right at a thousand. So we're gonna we're getting we're getting him. Gear. They've been giving him a lot of off days, and he got hit by a pitch two days in a row. So I don't. I don't know if he, they've been giving him off days because of soreness or if he's banged up a little bit, but he's going to get it back going. Don't worry. But I remember George Springer. I mean, when he was called up, it was miserable at the beginning. I mean, it was really bad. Bregman, obviously. I mean, Bregman was horrific at the beginning. I think Bregman could play t-ball. He'd get off to a slow start. <laughs> that cat in his slow starts. 
Like, I don't. I mean, I'd rather him finish strong than start strong. I get that. But, man, enough of this slow starts every year. I mean, it's just. But, I, look, he had a two-run homer last night. That, 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 that was nice. And, again, I don't mind him coming up if they really think he's that good. But I don't want him, like, bring him up and then, like, count on him and where he's playing a lot in, in, in the postseason. And I, wouldn't, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't vote for that. But it is exciting you know, center field has been a problem way before Springer. You know, look, Cedeno was awesome. Now, he was a little short-sighted in terms of his focus and all of that. But, you know, there are people that believe if you named an all-time, well, not a 1970s decade team in the National League, that Cesar Cedeno would be the starting center fielder on the all-decade team of the 70s. He's my favorite Astro ever. I never, like, he is the, he had, to me, he had the prettiest swing, the way he walked. I mean, I just, I love Cesar Cedeno growing up. My face still, I would still say he's my favorite Astro ever. But since then, you know, they they never really, you know, they've had a bunch of guys, the Hatchers and the Mumphreys, and we joke about Tony Scott, and they had Steve Finley for a while, and then, you know, remember Biggio played some center field, and Berkman played some center field, and they just, you know, Willie T had a nice, a little run there, and they had Michael Bourne, but never, like, had an answer for a long, like, eight, nine years answer in center field. Jordan Schaefer played a little center field. Oh, he did. And he, um, Jordan Schaefer, though, natural grass kind of messed him up a little bit. You know, he would have been better off with, you know, synthetic artificial turf. That cat, he was, uh, he was something. Now, he played on those really bad Astro teams. But I actually like, like, Stevie P hated Jordan Schaefer. Like, hated him. I'm like, why you hate so many of the Astros? He just hated that guy. But, no, I'm all for having a steady center fielder, but I don't want to rush him. So we'll see how that plays out. We'll take a timeout and be back. This is Footnotes on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. Kevin Foote. Journalist, popular sports talk show host, and a man who apparently moonlights as a doctor. A medicine season of a different strand in 12, obviously, because the criminal commissioner decided to inflict them with, with the, the host bounty gate silliness. His descriptions of illnesses are extremely concise. Not a normal strand of a medicine season. It was a different strand. This out of the blue from Timbuktu and all of this bounty gate silliness. Dr. Foot is ready to write a prescription for what ails your favorite team here with more footnotes on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Welcome back to Footnotes. Kevin Foot on the game. Game hotline 706-0111. 706-0111. All right. So I've been saying for two weeks, enough of these midweek games. Cajuns, fortunately, don't play a midweek game. This week, heading into, as we mentioned earlier, 
the final Sunbelt Conference regular season series of the year, playing Thursday through Saturday in order to give them more time to prepare for the Sunbelt Conference tournament in Mobile. The Cajuns don't play. LSU does play. McNeese in a midweek game tonight at 6.30. You still, you still good with playing midweek games two days before regular season final series of the conference? I, mean, I think it's okay. I mean, I don't, I don't prefer it, but I don't mind it. By the way, we've been talking with softball about RPI. I happened to glance at the baseball yesterday because Coach Deggs continues to kind of say the Cajuns are in the picture, and we'll examine that a little. The Cajuns are 66. But the thing that was surprised, like Kentucky is still one with an 11-11 and road record. How can a team with 15 overall losses and an 11-11 and road record be the number one RPI team in the country? I just, it's just something doesn't add up there. Like, how can that be? I, I don't I don't get that. It's a little surprising. All right, let's go to the game hotline. Hello. Hey, Flint, what's going on? How are you? Doing good. Um, going back to Drew Gilbert and uh, getting called up quick, speaking about the Astros' um, farm system, I saw that Eric Getty's been throwing really, really well in um, Corpus Christi. What are the odds we see him in the next two years or maybe if we make a play- uh, postseason push here soon and with all the injuries we have? Well, I, I don't I don't know that they would count on him – uh, in the postseason, but you're right, man. I I didn't really know what to think of Spencer Arigetti as a you know you never know how a guy's going to do in the minor leagues, but he's done very well. You're absolutely correct, and you know it wouldn't surprise me if he keeps pitching well because overall the Astros system is it consider like ranked really highly, and if he c- continues to do really well, that he could get. A call up, although they don't call up as many people as they used to. Uh, call up in September, but I wouldn't think on the postseason. But I, I, that'd yeah. be fun to see him, you know, get an inning or an outing or two, a couple outings in the po- in uh, September. Yeah, I saw. I read something where um, they're about to bring him up to Sugarland here soon. I think he had like seventeen innings pitched, like or maybe nineteen innings pitched, like seventeen strikeouts almost. Yeah, I always thought he knew how to pitch, but again, it's uh, I, I've seen guys who I thought were going to do well in the minor leagues and they did nothing, and so it's so hard to predict that. But no, it, it, you're right. Um, he has done very well, great name, and I enjoyed covering him and interviewing him when he was here. Ho- hopefully um, he does very well, but he is doing well. And if he, you know, if he gets up into Sugar Land soon, wouldn't surprise me at all if we see him get to pitch a little bit in September. All right, thank you, Foot. Thank you. I kind of like that. Remember, it happened many years ago. Donnie Wall, Xavier Hernandez. We're talking going back to the '80s and early '90s. Um, Xavier Hernandez pitched for the Cajuns and early to mid '80s, and he played for a lot of teams in the major leagues, but including the Astros. And and Donnie Wall was. Might have been Coach Bo's first, yeah, you know, at Howard Landry and Donnie Wall in the late 80s. Um, they, they were both good, and he pitched for the Astros. So it's fun when if a Cajun gets to pitch for the Astros. Uh, we need our guy Hogan Harris to get another outing. 
You saw he he made his major league debut with Oakland. We talked about right. it when he went up. Um, do you know his ERA, his career ERA as of now? Well, it's not good. I mean, he had one outing. They rushed him. He shouldn't have probably even been there. Yeah, it's 162. Is his yeah, ERA. He, he needs to get it. He'll get another outing soon. Hopefully so. He'll bring it down. Yeah, There's only one way he'll to bring go it from down. There. <laughs> I mean, again, it's good and bad. Like, if you get drafted by a team that's not good like the A's, of course, when they drafted him, they actually were good. They're just a franchise that, you know, typically sells off their their players when it's their time to make a lot of money, and and they and they rebuild so often, and so. But it's good because then you have your upper mobility is good. It's just once you get there, you're you're really fighting. Um, you know, it's kind of an uphill climb for it. Yeah, and it's no, it's just funny too. I'm thinking of like as a you know, I called the LSU game yesterday. Like, and as a broadcaster looking through some of these stats, I mean, if you if he was coming in the game and you saying, well, he's coming in, he's got a third of an inning pitch, and he's got an ERA of one hundred and sixty-two. Um, he's given up six earned runs in a third of an inning, which again, six earned runs in a third of an inning. Like, yeah, okay, he had a bad inning, but when you look at it, one hundred and sixty-two. Is his average? That's what he was on pace to give up in nine innings. So certainly, and, only way to go is down there. And again, it's we talk about this kinds of stuff all the time. I, I spoke to his dad more than once about that inning, and there was a pitch where you could see it on the little diagram that he threw a strike and struck the guy out, and the and the ump misses the call. So if he makes that call, then the whole trajectory of that inning changes. Oh, for sure. And then you know you say, oh, he had a pretty good outing. I mean. You know, again, things can go down in a hurry. Like, you can go from, you know, get the first two. Like, it happened to the Astros a couple weeks ago in Seattle. Got the first two guys out, get a couple, walk a guy, get a little cheesy infield single, get another cheesy infield single. All of a sudden, you're giving up seven runs with two outs. Like, the Cajuns on Sunday, they scored, what, six runs with a a runner on first and two outs. Yep. So, things can go downhill in a hurry, especially if you don't get a break. Yeah, and what was that? Two hits in that inning, maybe the Willis double, and I mean, other than that, you got walked. The runs were walked in and hit in. Yes. So that stuff can happen, but yeah, hopefully Hogan gets back up quickly, and um, the most important thing is that he stays healthy. But if he stays healthy, gets up quickly, and uh, he'll 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 get he'll get through that. Plus, I'm sure that you know. The only good thing about him going through that, although I'm sure he's been teased a little bit about his ERA, is is that that, that first game nerves, you kind of get that out of the system. Not saying he won't be nervous when he gets another chance, but at least it won't be the first time. And so hopefully he'll 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 get through that and um put that behind him. By the way, you mentioned LSUE, like what what when is all that going down? Yeah, so they won uh, their first game yesterday, seven to six in a walk off. So they'll be playing the uh, in the winners bracket, the defending national champions, actually Pearl River. Um, the last two national champions, LSUE and Pearl River, also the last two champions of this tournament, the Region Twenty Three tournament. They'll play today at three thirty in the second game, and then there'll be uh, two other games. There's a game at noon and a game at seven. So how many regions are there? Do you know? Uh, like. Tw- 20... There's that many regions? Yeah, so in the national tournament, you're, all, you're only taking the, the, the champion of each region, um, and that's it. So there's no at-larges or anything like that, the way it is right now. That's all changing next year, I've been told. There'll be some at They'll kind of change in the format, but yeah, there's there's quite a few. And it, well, there's Division One, Two, II, and Three as well. So LSUE plays in Division Two for the playoffs, which is a little confusing because like they play teams like Delgado, 
But then when it comes playoff time, Delgado goes and plays in Division One. That's why LSUE's Region 23 tournament is just them and all the Mississippi schools because the only other Louisiana junior colleges all play in Division One. So it's kind of like split in high school. A little bit. A little yeah. bit, yeah. That's so bizarre for me. It's still hard for me to wrap my little mind around that. But Well, anyway. yeah, and it's even weirder because, well, it's, I guess it is like high school. That's a good comparison for district. Because like uh, LSU is in Delgado's conference, right? And they play conference games against them, and then for the playoffs they go play their own, right? Which for baseball they don't really call it conference games because of the way it is. But yeah, it's strange, bizarre, but it is what it is. All right, again the game hotline is seven zero six zero one 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 seven zero six zero one one one. By the way, maybe some of you saw this. Thing that happened in Toronto last night where the Yankees supposedly were cheating. I mean, it, 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 it's so funny to me that so many people, it's almost like, I guess guys who played the game, even at the collegiate level, maybe not even in the major leagues, kind of get it. Or even if you just played high school and, and legion ball, like you, you might get it, but like... People have been cheating and trying to steal signs and do all that stuff again, like I say, over and over again for over 100 years. I mean, they have openly said and admitted that the Yankees and the Red Sox were doing this stuff even before the Astros were doing it, and the Astros just took it to this silliness level. Um, I mean, like, why is everyone freak out? Oh no! They, you know, they were stealing signs and trying to cheat. I, I just people have been pitchers have been putting stuffs on baseballs forever. It's just, it's just incredible. Um, I still say and will always say the worst kind of cheating, and it's not necessarily cheating. The worst that a team can get cheated is by the umpires, not by the other team. It's by the umpires. That's when it becomes unfair. When 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 the umpires are depending the sport, the referees, when they give one-sided calls to one team or the other team, that's when it becomes unfair. And especially in the sport of baseball, both teams are, are trying to do anything they can to get the edge. That's just... You got to catch it. You got to counteract it. I mean, it's just that simple. The the um, Scherzer, who many people call a cheater because he's been caught cheating, um, did a good job, and I think he was the driving force. It seemed to to keeping the Astros from stealing signs in that World Series, and that was a huge reason why they won. I mean, you know, that's just that's the game. Got to do it. You got to be able to. Got to be able to fix it. And we were talking about tipping. Like, I don't know. Anytime a pitcher just – where you just – every pitch you throw is a line drive somewhere. Just That's the first thought you have. Like, man, he must be tipping because it's just not that easy. It just shouldn't be like that. But, no, I don't – who – I mean, I'm sure they were doing some, but, you know, I didn't, it didn't bother me. I don't know why everybody freaks out about that stuff. But – um no, it it is funny, and I don't know if you heard the audio, but Dan Schulman, who's very rare respected, and Buck Martinez, who's pretty respected, they got a great 
They got great announcers in it with the Blue Jays. They always seemingly have for years. They were like, oh, that looks suspicious. Never seen that before. It was funny to hear the audio. And it was funny to watch the post-game interview with uh, Judge because he, he looked pretty guilty with his explanation. But, you know, means nothing. We'll take a timeout. Bobby Nova on the other side. Stay tuned. This is Footnotes on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. This is Footnotes. Live from the Evco Development Studios in Upper Lafayette on the game. 1037 Lafayette, 1041 Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Welcome back to Footnotes. Kevin Foot on the game. Before we get to our weekly conversation with Bobby Nova about Cajun softball, and every once in a while we put a little Major League Baseball. We were talking about this earlier, which is why I wanted to set this straight. We did get news just a few minutes ago that the Sixers did fire Doc Rivers. Now, I get that one more because he's been a, he's got a longer track record and he hasn't gotten it done. And that was a major choke job. Now, again, I don't know. It wasn't so much that they lost, but just the effort that they played at. in in Because in, let's face it, the Celtics in Game 6 did not play very well. They did not play at a high level. The Sixers just played at a lower level. Uh, if the Celtics had played great and they just beat them on a shot at the buzzer or something, I don't know that it would have been so bad. But anyway, Doc Rivers is indeed fired. Um, we were speculating that we hadn't heard on that, and it is now official. So, all right, we have with us our friend, Mr. Bobby Novo. How are you, sir? How are you? I'm good. I'm doing good. Well, I know this is the part we've been waiting for all season. Uh, you know, the Cajuns won the Sunbelt Conference Tournament. Um, and now they are going to regional play. I know a lot of people are upset about the Baton Rouge, but I, I would think you and probably Coach Glasgow and hopefully the girls – uh, on the team, or, or put all that behind him. It's now to focus on the weekend and going to Baton Rouge and not worry about all that other stuff. Well, absolutely. It's time to put that all behind you, and uh, not a whole lot you can do about it. And I was disappointed for about five or ten minutes, and then, you know, I looked at the the bracket and said, you know, this is a winnable regional, and it's uh, just down the road, so let's go down there and take care of business. Absolutely. We'll see what happens. All right, so... I don't know if you did this. I know you and I have many conversations during the course of the season, but if you if you would have written down what you projected your postseason lineup and pitching rotation to be prior to the season, how close you think you would have come, or is do you first from what you remember, it's very different now than it was at the beginning of the year? Yeah, I probably I probably would have been about. You know, seventy-five percent maybe correct. Uh, you know, I certainly didn't see Lauren Allred uh, in the fall. You know, I, I knew she was going to be a good player. I didn't know she was going to be this good this soon. You know, right? And uh, yeah, a couple of kids I thought would be in that that maybe have not been in, and and uh, you know, um, so 
I mean, it's, it's just kind of hard to tell in the fall, you know, because with that much talent, you really don't know who's going to be in, who's going to be out. But uh, I think Coach Glasgow has done a really, really good job over the, the last six weeks or so of, of utilizing that entire roster. And I think it's funny. I don't know. Funny's the word. But ironic or interesting that at the beginning of the year, he was talking defense, defense, defense. And as the year went on with the ups and downs and a loss here or loss there, he, you know, there were times where defense seemed to be a little more on the back burner. But now that they've come in down the stretch, he's kind of back to the defense first mentality, and it's been working. Yeah, Kevin, you know, since the, uh, the beginning of the Texas State series, um, when he made those, you know, moves in the middle infield, put Langlers at short and, and, and Sissy at second. And, um, the, the, the fielding percentage has gone from 961 to 968, and the Cajuns are 16 and one since the beginning of the Texas State series. So, uh, looks like maybe that's a little something that that's working a little bit, you know. And the only loss there was what that walk off with two outs in the seventh. That was the uh, the only loss was, was that Troy loss, right? In that yeah, seventeen game, yeah, stretch, yeah, right. So, and again, I try to say that I'm a first guesser, not a second guesser, and I can't criticize him because I would have made the same move of moving Alexa to second, and yet, you know, it for whatever reason, it works better when she's at short. Yes, I, I agree, and uh, I mean she's just solid there. She, you know, nothing fancy, nothing uh, spectacular, but she makes all the routine plays, you know, and and she's been solid there since you put her there. And uh, you know, Kevin, one of the one of the easiest ways to end your season early in the postseason is to give up earn on runs, and it looks like they've kind of figured some things out on defense. So. Uh, Looking forward to this weekend and should be a lot of fun. The other thing that I think about Alexa is she seems to have mastered the baseball and softball or games of failure, and she gets past that stuff real quick. It doesn't seem to bother her if she makes an error or doesn't quite make a play like she's supposed to or if she strikes out in a key situation. She doesn't. She just seems to move forward, the whole next pitch mentality. She seems better at that than most to me. Yeah, she's, she's really, you know, mentally tough, has a, a really high softball IQ, and you know, she's, she's going through a little bit of a slump offensively right now, and a lot of times players will bring that, you know, on the defensive side, they'll take that back out on the field with them, and uh, that's not the case with her. So, uh, you know, that's one of the, uh, the bright spots when it comes to her. All right. So, you know, it's this, this won't be the first time you, you'll watch UL play LSU in softball if and when it happens this weekend. And which we all expect it to happen, happen, obviously. Um, so, ha, ha, what do you think of this matchup? I mean, we've seen them play well and 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 win. We've seen them play mediocre and win over LSU in recent years, and we've seen them make defensive mistakes and walk too many people and lose in different years. And we've seen 
you know, Georgia Clark get big hits and being we've seen just about everything. So what do you kinda how do you kinda break down this matchup right now going into this well, I, region? I, I, I like the matchup. You know, we 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 beat them in the, in Baton Rouge this year, lost to them at uh at, at Lanson Park. Um I think the key for me when we play LSU is is um to be have success early in the game, you know? because, uh, you know, you always sometimes you know, if they get if they get an early lead or you have, you know, some some un, you know uh, some unlucky things happen early in the game, it kind of kind of snowballs on us when we play LSU. So, I think you know early in the game, um, I guess we're, we're going to be the visiting team uh, if we play them on Saturday at noon. So, and if you could get a couple of two or three runs in the top of the first inning, that goes a long way. And then if not, if you can put up zeros. Uh, you know, when they're at the plate uh, early in the game, I think that's going to be very important. Now you've been, and then, pre- of course, you got to keep you got to keep uh, Georgia Clark. She must be like what thirty five years old. <laughs> how, how long has she been playing for LSU? And and <laughs> and I don't know what her batting average is against the Cajuns, but I would guess it's pretty good. You got to keep her in Pleasance in the park, you know, to have a chance to beat beat them over at Tiger Park. Now, you've been preaching to me about the weather and the wind and how Lamson Park plays in May and why is everyone so surprised. So how do you see the park playing in, you know, in Baton Rouge this weekend? Man, Kevin, now you got me stumped. I'm not sure. You know, in May in, in Louisiana, you, you get more south winds than anything. And I... I I can't be – if I told you that I know if South Wind's blowing in at Tiger Park or out, you know, I'd be lying to you. So it's all going to depend on that. Now, I did hear in the forecast that there's a, a very weak cool front that's going to come in later this week that's going to bring in some dry air, and, you know, that might switch the winds out a little bit to the north. So we'll just have to wait and see. And like I said, I'm not sure how the wind blows at uh, at Tiger Park if it's – South winds blow in or not. All right. So do you foresee if he continues to play a defensive lineup, do you anticipate that Coach Glasgow will play a little more small ball and try to win with more of a pitch and defensive mentality or not so much? I think I think we're gonna see what we saw the last, you know, six weeks or so of the season. You know, he'll start off uh the games with his defensive lineup, and then, uh, you know, he'll play situational softball throughout the game, and he'll bring those pinch hitters in when he when he feels like he needs to, and, you know, with runners in scoring position. And I just think he's going to continue to play it the way he's played it the last six weeks. Like I said, we're 16-1 and one in the last 17 games. I, I don't know why he would change anything at this point. All right, so uh, all I can say is try not to be nervous this weekend. I'm nervous already. <laughs> <laughs> are you are you gonna be in Baton Rouge? Oh, that is the plan, absolutely. Oh, yes. That that'll help me calm down a little bit. All right. <laughs> uh, all right. Thank you, Bob. Thank you, man. We'll see you soon. 
This is Footnotes on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. Are you fluent in Footlish? Not to worry. We're here to help with the Footlish Dictionary. Oh, pleasure cruise. Pleasure Cruise. Now, a sports career where things seemingly came easy as the player was surrounded by the best players, the best coaches, and caught all the breaks. Also known as Tom Brady's career. Now, back to the man with his very own language, Kevin Foote and Footnotes on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Welcome back to Footnotes. Kevin Foote on the game. Now, I don't know where Bobby heard his weather report, but whether it's a little cool front or a big cool front, anything having to do with cool when you play at 2 o'clock in May on Friday, which is the Cajuns game time for their game against Omaha, will be welcome, I would think. I think it's still going to be 90 degrees from what I've seen on the apps. 90? That doesn't seem real cool. No, no, I wouldn't call that cool. <laughs> no, I don't think it's going to be cool. So we'll see how it, you know, we talked about in baseball this past weekend that maybe the heat got to Carson a little bit. Um, I wonder how much that's going to impact pitchers and how long they can pitch and how many days in a row and all that, even for softball. And so it'll be something to monitor. I think at some point, though, as long as you're hydrated, your adrenaline kind of goes at the postseason. You got to, you know, that's probably a little different than you would do if you were playing it in late February, early March or something. Um, you know, obviously a lot of people are talking about the matchup and Bobby brought up Georgia Clark, who we brought up yesterday and uh, Taylor Pleasance. And obviously those are great players and you want to try to keep them from beating you. But it's funny because there were a lot of people that were really taken back by when um, – the Cajuns intentionally walked twice the third baseman from Texas State when they played here back in the regular season. And they didn't walk her the other night, but they oh – no, they did – they walked some – no, they walked the girl from um, Marshall the other night. But I, I think the co- – I would think that the co- Coach Robichaux and Coach Glasgow would at least discuss that. I would be surprised if that doesn't come up at least once – with Taylor Pleasance or Georgia. It'd be hard for me to walk Taylor with Georgia Clark hitting behind her, but I could see intentionally walking Georgia Clark, say, with two outs and a runner on second to make someone else beat them. A lot of people look at that as, like, a weakness or a failure of somehow, but I just think that's sound strategy. I I mean, you got to – on one hand – this is baseball or and softball. So no one, very few players anyway, hit over 500. So the odds are, you could argue the odds are, if someone's hitting 390 or 410 even, that you could still argue that the odds are in your favor by pitching to them. So I can kind of get that, man, I don't want to ever give up a free base to someone mentality. I can kind of get that, but... Um, I 
am not a big fan of letting the other team's best player or second best player, especially if they have a history of of they of big time success against you. I just seems like it's a lot less frustrating if a player hitting 290 beats you than if a player hitting, you know, 390 beats you. And so I'm okay with with, with intentionally walking in the right um, spot. Now, if the player's hitting 090, that's even more frustrating. Like, how in the world did they get the hit? But if it's just an average hitter but not a great hitter, uh, I'd rather make the average hitter beat me than allow the great hitter with a great history against me to beat me. So, no, I think that subject's going to come up this week, I would think, if the Cajuns play the Tigers. Yeah, and, and just back to your conversation with Bobby about the weather and that how the how the park plays at Tiger Park. I mean, the regional, I was there when they were in Baton Rouge a couple of years ago for every game in that regional, and the ball flew. I mean, there was a lot of home runs hitting that park. Taylor Pleasant hit a million of them. Sierra Bryan hit leadoff homers to start both games against LSU. Like, there were a lot of balls that got out of the park there. It felt like it carried more than it does at Lampson. So I would expect the ball to be carrying, but we'll see. Every time the Cajuns play in Baton Rouge, whether it's the old Alec box or the new one, the ball always seems to fly out of there. Like, every time the Cajuns play, I'm like, man, the ball flies out of here. I guess I'm just so used to, like, team more feel and – it, it 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 the ball's never. I mean, I guess I've seen. I mean, I've seen home runs hit there, but it's it's to me it's such a pitcher's park, and the ball rarely. I never could. It's never been a popcorn park to me. And it never has. Now, someone is suggesting that the wind blows right to left at the softball field at LSU, and that the clubhouse potentially could break up some of that. I don't know, but yeah. Um, it, it, I, I just think whether it's baseball or softball, I've always thought from my experience in those parks going back to the early 90s and late 80s, uh, it just always seems to fly out of there. It's just the way it is, kind of like Yankee Stadium. All right, y'all have a nice day.